0: Listening to On the Road with Mike, Yogi, and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie Truckies. Here to bring an independent voice to truckies right around Australia. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer.
1: We've got a huge show for you this week. Andy's back. He's been talking with Courtney Keel, the winner of the Best Female Vocal at the 2023 Australian Country Music People's Choice Awards. Played a couple of her songs as well from her new album, The Good Kind. Then we're going to go on to some road stuff. We've got Sam Faraway, the Minister for Regional Roads and Transport, uh, in to answer some questions. He's following along behind Jenny Acheson who I thought I'd let go first. She is the shadow minister. we have had to push a little bit of stuff aside so we could get the uh, politicians in, but that's the way it's got to be. We've got this election coming up, and I think it's only right that everyone should hear what these people have got to say and how they plan to spend our money. We're going to move on with the show. Yogi with the news, a bit of other stuff as well.
2: Let's get this show
1: on the road.
3: Yes, get on with it! <laughs>
0: G'day, it's Andy here once again, putting another great Aussie music artist in the spotlight. In the guest chair this week, heralded as one of the most exciting talents in Australian country music by Beat Magazine, and recently crowned Best Female Vocal at the 2023 Australian Country Music People's Choice Awards, the wonderful Courtney Kyle has once again lived up to her killer reputation with the release of her latest single, Let's Pretend, a track drawn down from Courtney's long-awaited and soon-to-be-released album called The Good Kind. To say she's been keeping busy would be an understatement, with Courtney continuing to appear on stages right across the country, opening for Aussie favourites the Whitlams, supporting Andrew Swift and Angus Gill, and performing at a string of concerts in Gina Jeffries and Tanya Kernigan's Girls Night Out Tour, as well as Rockin' Country and Savannah in the Round. Back for a chat to fill us in on what's been happening since the last time we spoke a while back, here is the wonderful Courtney Kyle. Courtney it's so good to be catching up with you once again on the road
3: hello
4: thank you so much for having me back it feels like it's been a while since we've spoken but hey it's good good to be chatting again
0: it certainly does feel like a while but to kick it off you've just been voted the best female vocal at the country music people's choice awards congratulations that's like a really big deal
4: Oh, thank you so much. It was such a huge shock. I've I've got to be honest, I was not expecting it. I was just really thrilled to be there nominated and there to support other artists. And there were some great performers on the day. And when they called my name out. I I sat there for a moment and had to do a few double takes to the screen to make sure it actually was my name up. there. (laughs) But gee, it was such a huge honor. And I was just so grateful to be there.
0: Yeah, it was wonderful news to hear that. The last time we spoke, you were excited about joining up with Gina Jeffries and Tanya Koenigan as part of their girls' night out tour. How's it been going for you?
4: Oh my goodness, we had so much fun. We we got to play a few of the big festivals last year. We got to Tamworth for the big fiftieth anniversary. Yeah. We got to Savannah in the Round, North Queensland's Rock and Country. So we had a blast. It was it was really incredible getting to learn from them as well. You know, they've been around in this industry for so long, have so much experience. Yeah. You know, Gina toured with Johnny Cash in the 90s. Like, it's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. So getting to play with them, see how they interact with the crowd and with the band, uh, I just feel very, very privileged being able to be included in that.
0: Yeah, and it must have been fun too. I mean, although Gina and Tanya are both fairly quiet and reserved.
4: Oh, totally, very quiet, totally. Uh, (laughs) Not jokesters at all. (laughs) Yeah,
0: would have been a total hoot just hanging out with them.
4: Oh, totally. You know, a lot of the best moments were on and off the stage we got to travel together for the gigs and things like that, you know, so it was really, really special time and we had a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> I bet you did. Now we've just enjoyed Tamworth again for this year. What put a smile on your face at this year's festival? What, what did you enjoy at the, the festival this year?
4: I think just the fact that the atmosphere was so great. It felt like how it used to feel pre-pandemic, which was really lovely. Mm. Everyone just seemed so thrilled to be there. You know, there was smiles on everyone's faces and, you know, I just love Tamworth for that reason, but also it's a chance to catch up with everyone that you sometimes can go the whole year between seeing. Yeah. You just get to hear so many great artists that you may not have heard of just walking along Peel Street. You know, you'll, you'll see buskers and you'll see the Fan Zone stage. There's just so much going on. You get home and you're like, oh, my gosh, I need to process it all now. <laughs> yeah.
0: I expect in addition to being the festival, it's almost like a, an artist's reunion every year, like you were saying
4: totally absolutely you know because we obviously get to catch up with other artists when we're at the same festivals and things like that Mm. but in the gaps you don't necessarily get to see everyone so it's just really lovely to have a big reunion
0: for sure so your new album the good kind is just about to hit and you've released the single let's pretend ahead of the album release can you tell us the story behind the song
4: Definitely. It's one of the more personal, vulnerable songs that I wrote for the album. Mm. And I had the chance to write it with Rod McCormack, my producer, and Sally Barris, who's an incredible songwriter based over in Nashville.
0: It's a pretty good team. Uh,
4: yeah, absolutely. I feel very privileged whenever I get to write with them. Yeah, It's all about being in the early stages of a new relationship. I wrote it when I started seeing someone new last year and don't know if the song scared them off because <laughs> it didn't work out. But, oh, no. you know, it, it's, it's all about pretending that it's all going to be okay and, yeah. and just living in the fantasy, which I think you need to do.
3: Yeah.
0: And beyond the single, what can your fans expect from the rest of this new long-awaited album?
4: <laughs> You're right there. It is long-awaited. It's definitely been quite, quite the journey these past few years. But, you know, this album, I'm so thrilled to finally be bringing it out. Yeah. It's a collection of the singles I've released to date but also a couple of new tracks in there. And it's just really nice for me to be able to pull it all together and say this is the season of music that I've been in for these past couple of years and really celebrate all the people that have been on the journey with me. And, you know, I'm just really grateful.
0: Yeah. Well, as they say, all good things come for those who wait.
4: Well, I've had to test my patience, that's for sure, these past couple of (laughs) years. (laughs) But, you know, we've got here, which is the main thing.
0: Well, it has been a pretty hectic few years in a, a lot of ways. Definitely. On the back of the new album and single, I expect you'll be hitting the road pretty hard to get all this great new music into the ears of your fans and a whole bunch of new fans too. What are the touring plans you have for the rest of the year?
4: Well, I'm kind of in the process of trying to work that all out at the moment. Ah. I've got a show coming up on the Central Coast again. I've got my album launch, obviously, and then another show with Ringers Western here on the Central Coast, which is going to be really great fun to connect up with them.
0: Yeah, that's Central Coast, New South Wales, yeah?
4: Yes, yes, Central Coast, New South Wales. I'm just hoping to get out to some of the festivals this year and just any chance to get out to connect with people. I definitely don't take that for granted. Any chance to be playing shows and and just really getting to jump into the country music community. Everyone's been so welcoming to me, which I'm, I'm so incredibly thankful for. And it's just really lovely finally when you get to connect with these people that you know might have been listening to your music or following you on social media but you've never actually got to play a show for them yeah yeah you know i'm hoping there's lots of that this year and as well as getting back in the studio and writing and starting to think about album number two as artists we're constantly going okay what's next we've got to create something new we've got to get more music out yeah so that's also going to probably take up a little bit of my time this year too
0: for sure Well, it's always great to find any excuse we can to catch up with Courtney Kyle, and this is no exception. Courtney, I truly appreciate you finding the time in your ever-hectic schedule to come and play on the road with us once again.
4: Oh, thank you so much. It's so great to chat, and, you know, I just really appreciate all your support. It's been an incredible ride.
0: It sure has. Definitely. To close out our chat for today, would you please introduce your new single for us?
4: Absolutely. My name is Courtney Kyle and you are listening to my new single, Let's Pretend, On The Road.
3: Mama, I found someone, he's kind and kind of young the same as me not a wild and free still plenty fun he's got a way about him makes me feel i'm feeling too much but if i dive in just Yeah.
0: There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page.
1: Well, welcome once again to the podcast today. Jenny Aitchison, MP, the member for Maitland, is joining me for a bit of a chat. Now, I've met her several times over the last few weeks at various places, and we've had a few chats off the record about things. She's going to come on the record with me today, Jenny. Welcome to the show.
5: Thanks, thanks for having me here, Mike. Great to be here.
1: I'm <laughs> oh, pleased you're excited. You may not be excited at the end, but we'll see how you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've been, you've been uh, a member of the uh, Legislative Assembly in New South Wales for quite some time. 2015, I think you were elected with the biggest two-party preferred for quite some time, 65%. Yeah, uh, eight years I've been there,
5: and um, I guess coming from. Uh, a business background and a lot of work in the community. I sort of brought a lot of people with me to join Labor in our project of trying to make things better.
1: Jenny, you're the uh, Shadow Minister for Regional Transport and Roads, mm-hmm. and I believe uh, if you guys get the Guernsey at the upcoming state election, you might move into the ministership. Is is that a correct assumption? Is it?
5: Well, that we're all hoping that's the case. Yeah, mm. that's. I mean, obviously Chris has said a number of times he wants us to move forward with the same team so I'm ready and able and willing.
1: Well that's good so I've got a few things that are inside your electorate that you obviously would know about and a couple of things that are transport related that I'm hoping you can give us a position on. Obviously there's Mm -hmm. a few hot button topics at the moment, rest areas is one, you've got that uh, questionnaire going on out there at the moment and the federal funding from uh, the rest area steering committee chaired by Glenn Stirl uh, Mm -hmm. coming into play what are your thoughts on all that? Can we move forward with that and sort of make some things happen there in a bit of a hurry?
5: Look, I think we really need to, and Glenn's been a fantastic advocate for rest areas. I remember during COVID uh, he was just on it all the time and just ensuring that people who are working on our roads and driving actually have somewhere they can rest and recuperate and, you know, be in accordance with their logbook. But also just, you know, if you need to go to the bathroom, you should be able to do that. It's a pretty basic human right. So I think uh, he's going to be well placed in that role um, going forward and continuing the work that he's been doing for so long. Um, We obviously really want to engage with him on that. I was a a coach and tour operator in long distance all over Australia and really the facilities in New South Wales are pretty poor and um, we need to make sure that they are upgraded and that they're done in a way that means that trucks can you know the, the drivers can get the rest breaks they need I've been doing regional transport and roads forums across the state over the last year or so and you know when I get truck drivers in the room uh, they and their operators they're really concerned about it and you know that that is a big priority for people so we definitely want to be working on fixing that issue.
1: One of the biggest issues that has been highlighted several times and I've certainly made the comment and I know that you know that I have metropolitan Mm. truck parking particularly around Sydney is absolutely diabolical we've got the issue down at the port with the DG trucks there and I I, you know I'd like to think you're across that a little bit is this something that we can move forward with there's a bit of ground down there that we can use can we not just give someone a bit of a bit of a nudge along and see if we can make some things happening there
5: Look, I think it's got to be a priority. As I said, I was in the coach industry and I remember uh, back when Labor was in government, um, there was a lack of parking for coaches in Mm. Sydney, which is pretty hard. If you're going to take people to look at the Opera House, you can't just sort of drop them and run. You've got to be able to park nearby or at least so you can get back to them. So the then Labor government actually invested in that King Street Wharf. And it was interesting at that conference for road uh, freight last year Week I was talking to a driver, uh, a truck driver, who said he'd had to use that facility, and there was all sorts of dramas because he wasn't a bus. That's so right. I think yep. you know yep. <laughs> we have to make sure that we actually are understanding the needs of truck drivers who come from regional areas. We used to operate out of Volka. You know, it's a long haul to get into Sydney, and you know then you've got to have a, a place where a driver can park the vehicle, do the things they need to do. And I think there's definitely. Uh, capacity in what we're doing you know you wouldn't have a port and not have you know facilities for boats to dock but on the land side of that we've got to do much better so obviously there's uh, levers that government can pull Mm. we would obviously want to be in government before we're making too much um, of course kind of specific promises around what exactly that looks like but I think the important thing is that uh, Joe Halen as the Shadow Minister for Transport, John Graham for roads and myself and regional transport roads, we work very closely together as a team. And just like Federal is doing, I think we want to make a real difference on these issues that are part of everyday working people's lives. Like if, if your job is so impossible because you can't put the vehicle somewhere while you do the work that you've got to do, under legislation, that's just not an acceptable outcome. So we need to make sure it happens quickly.
1: I'm pleased to hear you say all that, and I'm glad to know that you're actually aware of it. At least that way
5: yeah.
1: we can try and try and have some sort of faith that something will be done in the near future. Moving on from rest areas, we've, yeah. got, we've got issues up there with the, with the Beresfield uh, bypass and the Hexham Bridge. I mean, every, every Friday night, every holidays, the Hexham Bridge is a nightmare. Uh, yep. heading north out of out of Sydney. It's one of those huge bottlenecks that's created a problem. What do you see on the uh, horizon for that?
5: Well, look, I'm really lucky in this space. Our uh, local federal member, Meryl Swanson, has been advocating very hard on this and the state members that are involved in that uh, situation. So myself in Maitland, Sonia Horner in Wills and Kate Washington in Port Stevens, we all go along those roads. So we understand the bottlenecks that occur um, in Maitland, particularly in that sort of thornton Beresfield era, area, mm. we really get slammed with uh, people trying to rat run through and, and in, whether it's in vehicles or trucks from the M1 right through to Raymond Terrace is really important. There's been funding put in there and I'm just thinking we're all looking forward to getting it done yeah. and uh, we will do everything we can to expedite
1: that. Well, none more so than the truckies that get caught up in the traffic mayhem every time someone hits someone on the bum going onto the Exit Bridge, you know. It's a disaster for everyone.
5: That's right. And the the, the question for me is, you know, it just stayed in abeyance for so long. Like, this government's been here for 12 years. And what we've seen is a failure to actually put forward this link, which is one of the most major links in, you know, really New South Wales and, in fact, probably across the nation. Because, you know, getting to Sydney and Brisbane, it's that big point you've got to get through it and I just can't see why they haven't prioritised it before now at either the uh, state and the federal level and it's really only been you know Labor members of parliament who've been able to push for that to happen.
1: Well we talk about you know trying to reduce the carbon footprint and trying to do things more economically and with all these high productivity vehicles and that and then we divert them onto a little buddy road through traffic lights and slow them all down and create hassles for everyone it just seems to me that we've got the car before the horse sometimes
5: yeah absolutely and you know a few years ago i remember when there was an issue on that region and, and it was out for quite a period of time and yeah. you know these are the problems so we we just have to make sure that those major pinch points are really being addressed and and labor's 100 percent on that one, and we will be uh, pushing forward for it.
1: Righto. Well, moving along then, there was another pinch point that we have every holidays and every Friday afternoon. It seems the M1 between Newcastle and Sydney, it doesn't yeah. take very much for there to be a disaster and a 20K traffic jam there either. Now,
5: yeah, it is pretty slow, isn't
1: it? <laughs> so, you know, we've got all these contraflow places put in, but there doesn't ever seem to be like a pre-agreed Traffic management plan that the police up there can just go ahead and activate uh, and uh, sort of open up a few contraflows. It seems we need to put a thousand witches hats down the wrong side of the the road before anyone thinks it's safe to go down. Why can't we just put a couple of highway patrol cars there and have a prearranged uh, traffic management plan we can put in place just to keep the traffic moving? I've got a lot of concerns about this, and I'll tell you why after you've answered that.
5: Yeah. Well, look, I, I. I get it you know we caught up in it too and you know I ended up the other day going through I don't know actually going to another conference in Wagga I nearly missed the plane in fact um, the other day so it does have a huge impact on people you know you've got a, a journey that's pretty much two hours door to door from sort of the start to the finish and if you get if you do get one of those snails then it does really just bring everything to a standstill and when you've got truck drivers who are really relying on that run because that then affects meal breaks, it affects deadlines, et cetera. It's, it just adds another level of pressure to it. So, um, look, on. I'd have to take it on notice about what the tra- plans are on the road yeah. to see, yeah. but um, definitely whatever we could do, we would be looking at doing. We see that there's so many people in the Hunter. They live in my community, they live across the Hunter who are working in Sydney or vice versa. It's such an important road and we need to make sure we're actually working on it.
1: Well, it doesn't seem like rocket science for me to have a pre-approved action plan that the the officers on the ground know that they can just go ahead with rather than having to, you know, get questions and answers from everyone. We've got a pre-approved plan. There's an accident between there and there. You can open the highway up and, you know, Two or three highway patrol cars—we've got plenty of them—to mm. to get there and make sure people are doing the right thing. It's not rocket science. The issue that I've got is we've got people that are, you know, that are sick diabetics. You've got, you know, you might need to go to the bathroom for God's sake, and you're stuck there in a traffic jam truck drivers yep. with their logbook issues, people with medication issues. We don't seem as though we take into consideration people's lives as human beings when these sort of things happen. Life needs to go on even when there's an incident. Yeah. Why does someone else's incident maybe become an emergency for me? Well, I can't imagine being stuck there for several hours with a couple of kids in the car. That'd be enough to just drive you mental. Yeah,
5: well, it really is. And I remember actually... On that issue alone, mm. I remember being in Sydney one time and having to come back to Maitland. Yeah, and I left my um, accommodation in Sydney at eight o'clock in the morning yeah. and I didn't have enough fuel to get me home. I was planning to stop at the servos on the twin servos up there at yep, and in yeah, it, why, and then in the end, I actually could not get there because of the you know it was when those two trucks were fused together and they didn't establish contraflows and all these dramas anyway I ended up eight hours later driving back to my accommodation in Sydney I just could not get through and so for me it was like the communication because I ended up starting that journey they didn't do enough communication on the the start of it to say look you're not going to get through it just it's just like they had not conceptualized what that impact would be going forward and I think that, you know, can be disastrous. As you say, the health consequences, like running out of fuel, running out of water, running out of logbook hours, rest and fatigue that really are the reason we have the logbook hours. And the medication is just such a problem. And you're right, you know, if you've got a couple of kids in the car, if it's a car, if you've got those medical conditions, you know, it's, it's really quite dangerous. So we do need to have plans that are very clear and... The whole point, I think, of having redundancy in the road system, because if you've got a plan, you can say, well, okay, this happens here, that's what we do. And then when you're writing that plan, you might actually think, oh, well, actually, there's a few gaps here, and if we have a, an issue at this point, this point or this point, we can't do anything yeah. else. Yeah. So that's when you identify the gaps in what might happen in a real-life emergency. We've seen this time and again through you know, the, the bushfires, the floods, where we haven't had redundancy in the road network because they're all in our regional areas and particularly that peri-urban sort of bit on the outside of cities or or regional centres, so much congestion is happening that when you have one incident, it just knocks out the whole network. Mm. So we have to look at those. And I know Chris Means is the uh, Labor leader and and hopefully Premier in three weeks' time. We're crossing our fingers. But I know he's been really uh, very concerned about not having that redundancy in our transport networks in times of emergency and so i think it's it's having it dealing with the traffic issues that happen very frequently is a is a good starting point to ensure in a natural disaster we've got that redundancy in the system
1: i'm talking with jenny ageison she's going to take a quick break in here from one of our sponsors and we'll be right back
6: A power nap can be your driver fatigue solution. If you're struggling to keep your eyes open while driving, you're in danger of falling into a micro sleep and the consequences can be fatal. Pull over somewhere safe and take a 15 to 20 minute power nap and then continue on your journey. Visit our website to learn how to make the best of your power nap.
1: Powernap.org.au We're back with Jenny Aitchison, Shadow Minister for Regional Transport and Roads, uh, MLA, Labor, potentially a transport minister down the track. Is that right? Have I got it right this time?
5: Oh, yes, you have, except potentially regional transport and roads. My colleague, Joe Halen, will be our transport minister. Yep. But we're a team, so you get one and you get three, so it's
1: good. We've just got a couple of things I'd like to talk with you about before we wrap yep. it up. The, the Blue Mountains, going across the the highway there out towards Bathurst has been a challenge for a long, long time, particularly in the winter. We get a bit of snow up there, things grind to a halt. We've been talking about this tunnel through the mountain and all these other ideas. Tell me where you're at with that, please. Look,
5: I, I think we uh, we really have to start talking about this realistically and honestly, and that's something the government hasn't been able to quite get themselves around to. At the moment, we've got a situation where the government said they were going to uh, do three sections of the Great Western Highway and upgrade them. There's the east, the central and the west. Now, that central section involves a new 11 kilometre tunnel through the mountains, which would be Australia's longest tunnel. Now, the issue mm. with this is there it's an uncosted proposal. There's no business case of it. And at the conservative estimate of about $1 billion per kilometre for a tunnel of that size, if you look around the rest of the world, you're looking at potentially $11 billion to, to build it. So the government's got $1.1 billion in their budget for this project. So they've got a $10 billion black hole just on that section alone. And then we're just looking at the rest of it, the $8 billion, where they've only allocated about $2.5 billion, but the cost looks to be for that east and west side so the other two sides of it to be about 8 billion so it's it's a pretty big project you're getting close to 20 billion by the time you get through it now
1: if it it'll be more than that by the time you get there exactly
5: now you get to a funding question the first people that i want to listen to when we talk about funding projects like this would have to be uh, infrastructure New South Wales and Infrastructure Australia, the independent bodies that look at the infrastructure programs that are being put forward by governments and look at it. Now in May last year, the independent advisor at Infrastructure New South Wales said they should re- that the government should reconsider the timing and the sequence of a number of large complex projects that they were doing. And the reason they said that is because we know there's been a $20 billion cost blowout on transport projects under this government. Um, you know, we've got the transport blowouts on the actual costings of the roads that they've been building. And then you've got the debacles with, you know, trains that don't fit tunnels or tracks and ferries that don't go under bridges and get caught in and broke up in rough seas and riddled with asbestos,
1: right? It's a big one, right? I know, it's
5: very frustrating. $20 billion. That is a massive, massive number, right? So infrastructure in New South Wales, when you look at all that evidence about these big blowouts, them telling the New South Wales government, reconsider the time and, timing and sequencing of a number of your large complex projects, including the central tunnel section of the GWH. They said, think about a more diverse set of smaller projects to provide high paybacks over the period ahead. So they actually said, when you try and do everything all at once, which is you know what the former Premier said, look, we'll have everything all the time right now. The problem you get is labour goes up in price, the, the cost of workers the supply of workers goes down, people are busy doing other things, and then you get the cost of the actual construction, the materials is massive. So we would we have said we'll follow the expert advice of Infrastructure New South Wales, and we'll defer the central section to allow that investment in priority roads projects across New South Wales in the next couple of years. Now, the other expert advice that's been there has been Infrastructure Australia, which has assessed the project and determines it's not eligible for the federal government's infrastructure priority list, which has got it on it, like they have these benefit cost ratios of one, yep. and this one hasn't met it. It's about 0.57 to 0.68. And so you've got the federal government saying, well, we want to take this off infrastructure priority list funding, which was about $2 billion. And you've got the regional roads minister, Sam Faraway has previously admitted that because of that, the project's going to have to come to some sort of a halt, halt, right? So now they're going ballistic because we've actually said what we're going to do with this $1.1 billion worth of investment. And what we're going to do is actually make sure that the roads that are being used um, by everyone every day, that we're going to prioritise them right now, And then hopefully in three weeks time if if Chris Minns is the new premier and we're able to form a Labor government we will be looking at these and we'll be having open consultation consultation with the communities that are impacted because we know there's a lot of communities who felt they haven't been adequately consulted about it and we the worst thing is they know how those road projects are going to impact their communities they also know what's going to happen with the Trucks and other vehicles that are coming through. We want to talk to the trucking industry about what they need. We want to talk to the agriculture community and, and other um, primary industries that are pulling things through the Blue Mountains and say, how is this going to be the best way for you? We want it to be properly done. Do it once, do it right. Don't end up with, like all their other transport projects, massive blowouts and things behind time. I mean, look at Country Rail. We've got the the trains are 1205 days late and they're going to be a billion dollars more out of budget because this government just keeps failing. So that's what we're going to do. So our our project will deliver major new $1.1 billion worth of road capital upgrades over the next three years. We'll bring new and improved roads across Sydney, regional New South Wales as well. Um, Some of those, like even looking at um, additional entry and exit ramps on the M1 at the Princess Highway around DAPTO, looking at roads that everyone's using in in the regions Um, we've got more announcements coming which is why i can't tell you what all of them are but happy to have a talk with you next week when we've done a few more announcements about the specific ones but
7: we we want to make sure
5: they happen the other thing is we have made a really solid commitment we're not going to sell off state owned assets to fund infrastructure we are not going to be privatizing things so we know that The government's go-to when they run out of money is privatization we've still got essential energy sitting out there off to the side the problem is that perite the premier perite has said he will not do any more privatizations but that is exactly the same thing that gladys Berejiklian, when she was premier back in 2019 said and the first thing as soon as the polls closed they sold off the, the tolls and what was the other thing oh the buses and so, you know, you can't trust them on this. We've got Sydney Water there, we've got essential energy. And if we want to know what's going to happen if they privatise essential energy, power prices are going to go up. We've seen with AusGrid, they've gone up something in the order of, was it 10%, whereas essentials only gone up at about 0.2%, like a very tiny comp- um, comparative point in the same period of time. So if we keep things like energy providers in, local Australian state government hands instead of flogging them off to the private sector then we've got more security for our state we've got the they're trying to buy back a Raring power station now which they sold for was it 50 million (laughs) a couple of years ago and they tried a few years ago to buy it back and I think it was over 200 million they wanted then, and they failed to do it so there are really important assets here that we need to keep in public hands and so we're not going to be funding them by flogging off the farm because that's just crazy
1: there's lots of stuff we could talk about I mean Liddell's closing yeah. and other things Yeah, yeah I mean there's, there's just so much that we could talk about and there's only so many minutes on the show I know mate. I know I, 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 I'll have to come back I, look <laughs> you'll have to come yeah. back and especially uh, especially if you do uh, manage to get a Guernsey I'll be very interested to uh, be able to talk to you and Get some some factual messages out because that's how we like to roll on this show. And uh, it's just been a pleasure to have you on and have you uh, some, you know, give some candid responses to uh, some fairly straightforward questions.
5: Mike, it's been really good and really appreciate talking to you at the conference and tonight today and also to all your listeners. It's great.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, we will talk to you again. Jenny, no doubt about Thank you. that. Thanks. See ya. So that was Jenny Aitchison, Shadow Minister for Regional Transport and Roads. Jenny standing for re-election in the seat of Maitland, the next state election in New South Wales in a couple of weeks and potentially part of the uh, Transport Ministry if uh, the Labor Government are uh, returned. We'll just head off for a quick break and we'll be right back to hear from Sam Faraway, the current Minister for Regional Transport and Roads and get his responses to the same questions that I just asked Jenny. <music>
8: I know, you're busy, you've got a lot on, and there's things to do. There's jobs to do, there's
9: places to be, there's people to meet. You're time poor, we all are, and there never seems to be quite enough time in the day. You're almost at the end, you've just got to get home and sort out those last few things. If only that truck was going a little bit faster, you'd almost be home by now. You're almost there, but you're also almost dead. Was it worth it?
1: Almost home, almost dead. Have a think about it.
4: Hey, it's Courtney Kyle here, and you're listening to On the Road Radio and Podcast.
1: Sam has been a long-time Nationals member, he, or the member for is it, the, is it Bathurst, the seat of Bathurst, Sam?
9: The upper house. No, I live in Bathurst, oh, but uh, I'm a
1: member in the upper house. Oh, oh I'm sorry, mate. Excuse me. And uh, you've <laughs> been you've been the minister for regional transport and roads now in the Perentie ministry since uh, December 21. Um, you're only a young fellow to be in parliament, mate. What did you do before you went into parliament?
9: A small business, uh, small business owner, my family. So my parents started uh, Hertz franchises in the eighties. Yep. Um, my dad got pretty sick, um, oh. uh, when I was finishing school and, uh, I sort of let straight out of the HSC running our family business. Uh, Cause he was pretty crook. And then I went on to run it for another 15 odd years. And, um, um, we sold that business a few years ago and I then uh, ran for the Senate, so I was unsuccessful, and then ended up in the upper house. It's a long story short. But uh, the interesting part, maybe for your listeners, is my brother and I started our own bulk haulage and civil earthworks business, which he now runs uh, in Bathurst. Um, but, yeah, so I, I used to do the HVIS inspections. I used to buy the tyres. I used to pay the bills. I used to do the Joe. So, I'm no expert, but I know a bit. I do know a bit about some of the challenges uh, and what it is in the daily life of those in the trucking game and, and road transport sector. So hopefully that as a politician, it brings a little bit more perspective around a cabinet table if you've actually been doing the HVIS inspections and if you've actually been paying the bills and the fuel and the tires. So
1: Well, there are too many people in parliament that have never done anything other than being staffers. That's just my opinion. But <laughs> you know, probably one that's been shared. now. Let's talk about the stuff. There are some big ticket items we want to talk about. Rest areas as one. The Beresfield bypass, the Hexham thing there up in the north side, I'd like to touch on the M1 and mm. some things going on there. And, of course, the uh, the tunnel through the Blue Mountains there and B double access uh, being restricted from the other side of the mountain and you know what happens with winter and all that sort of thing. So that's pretty much it, mate. I think you can deal with it all. Let's start off with the rest areas. Now, as we're both aware, I know you're aware, the steering committee chaired by Senator Glenn Stirl has got $140 to spend and applications for that's got to come from the ground up. Uh, New South Wales at the moment is the questionnaire about the rest areas. Are those two things obviously going to be working hand in hand and letting people know how to access that funding to make some improvements for the drivers?
9: I hope so, and uh, I want New South Wales to get its fair share of that funding. And firstly, I acknowledge um, Senator Stirl. He might sit on the other side of politics, but he's a good bloke. He he, he advocates strongly uh, for the road freight sector, and good on him. But the money's there, um, and New South Wales need to apply for it. But what I need to get right, Mike, is we need to make sure that we apply for funding for the right infrastructure at the right rest stops. Uh, I'm very committed about, we need a two-pronged approach to this. Firstly, we need to hear from truckies. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna do what another state government did um, and go and upgrade rest stops without talking to a truckie because um, truckies need uh, the infrastructure as part of their daily workplace. and And I'm fully aware of that, that the rest area is part of a truckies daily workplace uh, and we need to look at our existing infrastructure and how we can enhance it and upgrade it but make sure we're upgrading the stuff the truckies actually want need and use uh, not wasteful items um, to do that that is why i've been pretty clear we've gone out to road freight sectors to the national road freighters association uh, to the ata to everyone but as at the same time i want to hear from mum and dad operators as well And even local government, I want them and everyone to come together, tell us which stops are identified, what sort of infrastructure, because that is going to best, um, hopefully me, post the 25th of March uh, and the New South Wales government to apply for its share of that 40 million to start rolling out proper upgrades. Now, we we do have, um, you know, there there is a a few million bucks I've been able to quarantine within transport for some quick wins and some quick upgrades too. Uh, rest stops Uh, and it's one thing to enhance and upgrade the existing facilities but what is coming through loud and clear is we need more rest stops. Mm. Uh, We need to make sure that when we're building the infrastructure that we're building at the rate we're building it, we need to ensure that rest stops are a part of that. I've certainly started to implement that in our uh, new highway build. So when we're looking at things like the Great Western Highway, getting another rest stop and getting additional rest stops on the new, this stuff is important. We need to start to lay out a bit of a roadmap in how we're going to do this as well. Uh, but there is a real genuine and significant commitment from the New South Wales Liberals and Nationals in New South Wales uh, that we want to back our truckies and we know we need to do more and do better and i'm certainly very committed to uh, to take that challenge up and hopefully if re-elected roll out some actual meaningful outcomes around rest stops
1: well that'd be lovely and i'd, I'd like to think you'd get older someone like rod hannah who's been chewing up transport for new south wales for years with suggestions about where some of this stuff goes and nothing crumbs his cookies more than seeing a bit of duplicated highway go to waste and get ripped up you know when yeah. it could be turned into a rest area All right, let's move on. We've got the Beresfield bypass and the Hexham Bridge situation up there now. And as I pointed out to Jenny, doesn't matter what day of the week it is, any time up there, there's a bit of an incident going up onto the Hexham Bridge going north or anything like that. The place becomes a nightmare for traffic very quickly and there aren't very many options to get around it up there. We've been talking about the bypass. What's in the future for that, mate?
9: Well, firstly, we have a very significant infrastructure build. Uh, The M1 to Raymond Terrace extension and the Hexham Strait are two massive projects, but that M1 to Raymond Terrace extension is so important. It's contracted, it's real money, it doesn't matter on state or federal elections. The Commonwealth and New South Wales Liberals and Nationals Government have worked together, over two billion bucks with awarded the contract works will start this year. It will mean that we get a better connection off the new England highway over a new bridge over that floodplain, a new bridge, over the river uh, and we're going to have just removed that congestion and pinch point. Mm-hmm. This will complement the works where we've got the Singleton bypass starting this year, we have the Musselbrook bypass starting this year, only a month or two behind Singleton. We're going to have this massive infrastructure build right through the Hunter Valley and then that connection onto the M1. And if you go further north, Mike, the Coffs Harbour bypass has started. It has officially started and that is another two billion dollar project delivered uh, uh, with the New South Wales Liberals and National State Government with the Commonwealth. Three tunnels bypassing uh, Coffs Harbour completely. Uh, It's a complex and tricky project but uh, we're going to deliver it. Construction started. This is going to transform uh, the connectivity for the freight sector, whether you're coming off the New England, up the m one or whether you're going to go from Sydney to Queensland now without a set of traffic lights when we finish these projects.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I know what it's like driving through Coffs and and that I've been running up and down there for a long time, but it's going to make a significant difference to the way things are. Very happy to hear it. We might just take a quick break there and hear from one of the sponsors, and we'll be right back.
6: A power nap can be your driver fatigue solution. If you're struggling to keep your eyes open while driving, you're in danger of falling into a micro sleep and the consequences can be fatal. Pull over somewhere safe and take a 15 to 20 minute power nap and then continue on your journey. Visit our website to learn how to make the best of your power nap.
1: Powernap.org.au. We're back with Sam Faraway, the Minister for Regional Transport and Roads in the Perite government, the current sitting government, looking for re-election in a couple of weeks. Mate, what do you reckon your chances are? You reckon you're going to get another shot?
9: I think the election will be very close, Mike. I think that uh, this election, uh, every vote, will matter, every vote will count, Uh, and the Liberals and Nationals are going to make sure that uh, we want to govern for all. Uh, Obviously, I'm a member of the National Party. I'm out in regional New South Wales every day of the week. I'm the one that's uh, looking after our state highways and our state roads, and to be frank, the massive rebuild after the flooding. Uh, And might I add as a segue, a big shout out to the road freight sector, because it was our truckies that got the fresh food, the fibre, um, the toilet paper, to these supermarkets during COVID, but it was also the trucking sector that worked uh, with my office to make sure, on the back of flooding, we got these coles and woolies, these these IGAs, these sparse supermarkets, we got them all restocked after the flooding. But it wouldn't have been possible without truckies and also the commitment, the sheer commitment uh, from our truckies pushing through floodwaters with the assistance of transport to make sure people uh, had food to eat and water to drink. Uh, a big shout out, and I. I just think sometimes it's a shame that for the trucking industry, it takes a crisis uh, for them to be acknowledged. And I think we need to change that culture, if anything. Uh, and freight is only going to grow into the future. And we should be making sure that we're working together and acknowledging the significant contribution that the road freight sector makes to our state and national
1: economy. Right. Well, I'm not gonna, You're not going to get an argument out of me on any of that. Well known young man. Righto, uh, the M1 now. This is a problem, the M1, particularly going up the other side of the Hawkesbury and everything, there's a lot of big hills there. We see incident after incident after incident going up there and uh, it doesn't take very much in the morning coming south or going north on a weekend for there to be a 20-kilometer buddy traffic jam up there because someone's made a mistake. Now, We've got all these contraflows and everything built in up there, and we talk about redundancy and what we do. The observation that I've got, first of all, is we end up with people in their vehicles for a long period of time unplanned at these stops. Kids, people with medication issues, for God's sake, you might want to just go and relieve yourself. You're stuck in a traffic jam, you're, you're, you're absolutely buggered. We've got all these contraflows in place. Why is it that there doesn't appear to be a pre-approved traffic management plan that allows the highway patrol to open up some of these contraflows and send some traffic up the wrong side of the motorway and keep the traffic moving so people can get on with their lives.
9: It's a very good question, and uh, I get the alerts when we have these issues mm. and disruptions on the M1, uh, and it is such a significant highway. It is one of national significance, mm. and um, the movement of uh, vehicles and freight and heavies and everything on that road, as soon as you see any disruption or Easter and Christmas and then compounded, um, obviously, with other disruptions, you see the results and the consequences very quickly. Mm. It's a good one, um, your question, and what I would say is that there is a lot – of uh, crossover between transport for New South Wales and the New South Wales Police. Yes. Uh, when obviously when we do that, we need the police to back in the safety aspect of obviously redirecting that and that contraflow on the other side of the highway and trying to keep traffic moving. It's also when you face that level of disruption or the breakdown or the accident or the crash or whatever it may be. It's working out what is the estimated time mm. that goes through the traffic management centre that we can reopen traffic uh, to full or as Close to full capacity, uh, and if it if it's worth just having it shut or disrupted for a short period of time to return the road to full capacity, sometimes that is quicker than trying to put in all and if I be frank, the BS and the red tape in trying to get that contraflow. I think it will depend on the type of incident that happens on the M1. But it's a good one. And the commitment I give you, Mike, is I'll take that one on board. And if I'm re-elected post the 25th of March and the Liberals and Nationals remain in New South Wales government, um, I'll come back onto your show with a more detailed answer. But what I would say in my experience is that what transport in conjunction with the police do is we look to reinstate the road back to full capacity oh, look, as quickly I, as possible.
1: I, I, I get that, Sam. But I also understand that these, these uh, crossovers exist. And I mm. do understand sometimes that uh, we, we do things for the lowest common denominator. Mm. Uh, and several highway patrol cars, you know, all it would take would be two, uh, two or three, one at each end, parked across the road with a go this way. And people mm. are driving cars. We're trusting them to drive these vehicles, surely surely they've got the common sense to understand what's going on if there's an incident. And well, you would, you would hope
9: to think so. <laughs> you
1: know, you'd, you'd like to think so. So, I mean, we, we don't need to put 10,000 witches hats out. Mm. A couple of highway patrol cars, you know, they've all got signs on the back of them. They can reduce the speed limit. They can do some local traffic control. I mean, that's what police traffic officers get taught to do, or they used to be, and Let them take control of the scene. You've got the State Emergency Service who can help you do that. They're great volunteers of the State Emergency Service. My opinion, sitting trapped in a car for two, three, four hours with a screaming kid or needing to go to the bathroom might not be an emergency for some people, but it might be an emergency for me. You know, and we're not weighing up the fact that life does go on for people. People can have medical issues, diabetics need their food, their drugs, that sort of thing. I think it's something that needs to be investigated properly and you can make a plan at least and say to the police, well, if this happens and we think it's going to be a couple of hours, let's do that.
9: It's it's a very very good point, Mike, and I think the best way to answer this is that if I'm re-elected, it's sitting take, in a hot seat. Oh, let's let's it.
1: let's yeah, no, no, we'll,
9: let's let, let's I'll come back onto your show yeah. and I'll because uh, uh, it's politics. I'm not going to promise something no, that you not. can't deliver. But they're very good points, and I'm sure you're not, that you're
1: there's...
9: not going to do that. Are you sure? No, no. Well, no. <laughs> pe- pe- people see people see straight through that rubbish. Uh, so, but what what I what I will do is uh, I will talk to the senior officials in transport that look after the NY. Yeah. Uh, if I'm re-elected and uh, let's get them on the show with me if, if I'm re-elected we could sort of say here are some options and yeah. it would be great to get more feedback from your listeners as well yeah. um, because the big concern is Easter and Christmas and yeah. these peak holiday 100%. periods because if you think about Christmas in the middle of summer and being stuck on the M1 and if you're low on fuel and can't have the, the air con going she's a pretty sticky and hot uh, situation to be in and not to mention if you've got kids or if you're not well yeah. um so it, it's certainly something we should continue to look at but to your overarching point it's really about what is the contingency yeah. what is plan b for when that happens yeah. and if we need to relook at that that is a serious conversation that should take place
1: right, oh great so we'll move on to the blue mountains one um obviously you've got this tunnel plan and uh there's this $1.1 million floating around that we're talking about. Jenny wants to spend wants to spend that money, along with the, the Labor Party, want to spend that money in a very, very different way to what, what you guys have got it earmarked for. Mm. And without putting too fine a point on it, she made a little bit of sense with respect to how much the thing's going to cost. And there seems to be some of it that's a little bit unfunded. I'm not in the room. I don't know what the conversation's been. Where are we at with the Blue Mountains, mate?
9: Well, firstly, there's there's two parts, sorry, there's three parts to the Blue Mountains and the Great Western Highway upgrade. You have the east and west sections. So we're talking about 34 kilometres of highway road surface duplication. So we're talking Lithgow uh, through to Mount Victoria, or, to, or, or right, sorry, Lithgow through to Little Hartley. And then we're talking about the other side of Blackheath uh where you then will go from single lane to dual carriageway so those east and west sections we're going to duplicate it road surface 34 kilometers we're going to duplicate it it is fully funded by the state and federal government the federal government in their last budget the labor party in canberra they're sort of starting to be a little bit tricky and saying oh we we don't want to give you our 80 percent for a year or two we sort of want to slow it down so that's a separate conversation but it is funded Um, And we have started awarding contracts for this. So we've awarded the contract at uh, Medlow Bath. So that is to duplicate the road out the front of the Hydro Majestic between the rail corridor and the hotel. It is to duplicate that 1.2 kilometre section, a new pedestrian overpass and a new intersection uh, connecting both side service roads. Done, 174 million bucks. Cox's River Road at Little Hartley, where we have the flyover and the connection to the service roads, 200-odd million. That is where the potential tunnel will start. So that's where we've got to get that interchange-like structure right, 200-odd million. The works have started. I was there the other day. The works have started. We're cracking on with it. The Commonwealth Government have agreed. They're the first two projects we're going to get cracking. What is disappointing about Labor's announcement? is that we as the state government as Liberals and Nationals in New South Wales over the last three or four budgets we have committed over the four years 2.5 billion dollars 2.5 billion dollars so we are being sensible money managers we are managing the economy we're putting money aside every year so we've got two and a half billion dollars set aside in total for our contribution as the state government to build the entire project now the reality is is that our contribution for the east and west sections is about 400 odd million bucks. So that leaves in the four years well over two billion dollars for us to put towards the tunnel. The tunnel the tunnel costs probably up to 10 billion, but state
1: well, and well, yeah,
9: okay. <laughs> highways highways of national significance like the Pacific Highway, like the Princess Highway, like the Newell Highway, they are funded on an 80-20 funding proposal with the Commonwealth. So 20% of $10 billion is $2 billion. That's what I've put aside. Um, we have completed the design. It's 11 kilometers. It'll be the longest road tunnel in the country, longer than North Connects. It'll be untold. We've been very clear, no toll on this. Uh, and thirdly, what is really important is we're doing the EIS where submissions have closed. Once we have all this finalised in the next three months, we are in a position to present a proposal to the Commonwealth and say, over the next so many years, cough up your 80%, we've got our 20%, let's go and build it. Now, it is true, Jenny and Chris Minns have taken $1.1 billion that we have set aside for the project, and they're putting it into Western Sydney roads. Now, if you're a good government, and if you manage the books, if you manage the economy, you should be able to do both. That's what we've been doing for the last few years, budgeting every year, money put aside for the Great Western Highway because we know it's a big project. We know it's expensive. We know we'll have the Pacific Highway. So we know we'll have COFs and the M1 De Raymond terrace done in the next few years. We need to turn our full attention to the Great Western Highway because it needs to be improved. We need a safer highway. The benefits and return for our freight sector, road freight sector, is huge you won't have to climb mount victoria in the middle of ice conditions in the middle of winter we'll have a twin dual lane tunnel and we'll be able to look at access we'll be able to look at what sort of pbs permits because we'll have a far safer road where we can move more freight more efficiently but you know there is an election mike and it is so disappointing as someone that lives in the central west who knows a little bit about the freight road freight sector A billion bucks that we've worked hard to set aside, Labor are gonna take it, put it into Western Sydney roads where the premier already has a hundred plus billion dollar infrastructure pipeline, including roads in Western Sydney. And really people should be thinking about voting for a government that is gonna support the economy, is not gonna let the economy stall, but we're gonna build the infrastructure that matters. The Great Western Highway, 4,000 jobs over the life of the project. They've just scrapped it, gone. And to be frank, it's unfair. Just because the Labor Party don't win any seats west of the divide doesn't mean they shouldn't have a plan. Doesn't mean that they, they should have a plan. Oh. They should have a plan for that highway and they don't.
1: Well, whether they win any seats or not, I mean, I, as I said, I, I, I'm not going to comment about how I feel about that. But to be fair, Jenny did raise some very interesting points. She did say to me when I asked her the question that she said it is an 11-kilometre tunnel. And uh, if you look around the world, these things typically cost over a billion a kilometre to build. So you're already a little bit short. It's just the it's just the nature of the beast. And we talk about getting the trucks through the tunnels. Well, that's great. But DG trucks, are we going to face the same rules there as we face through you know, taking a, a, a chemical tanker, say, for example, down the M5 into the Port of Botany? You can't take one through there because for some reason, someone thinks a DG chemical tanker's likely to be a problem Uh, we could have a long conversation about that
9: well, we could, and, and and the reality is is we do need to have a conversation about it post yeah. the election because yeah. we're, we've got more tunnels. Yeah. You can have tunnels in Coffs Harbour, North Connects, West yeah. Connects, you have the Blue Mountains Tunnel, and I've always said, well, we need to build the infrastructure that this state needs. We yeah. need to uh, make sure that we keep moving forward. But there is a conversation to have about, obviously, dangerous goods um, in tunnels, and uh, that certainly is post the election, whoever wins the election, because it is something that is brewing if we're going to have more and more tunnels as part of our infrastructure we need to work out uh, how dangerous goods uh, fit in and around that policy right. but to, to 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 be fair like with the tunnel um, you've got to have some plan you've got to have some vision mm-hmm. you've got to go and do the work you don't just build a tunnel overnight you can rip money out of a tunnel overnight we've yep. seen labor do that but to actually have a plan and a vision like we've been talking to the communities of mount victoria and blackheath for three or four years that's how we've settled on an 11 kilometre tunnel. That's how we've settled on how a bypass via a tunnel would look like. That's why we've progressed it to an EIS. We cannot go to the Commonwealth Government and ask for cash Mm -hmm. unless we've got the design, the scope, the EIS done, and we've costed it fully but yeah. you 've got to go and do you've got to work out the environmental factors you 've got to go work out short tunnel versus long tunnel there's so much work we 've done that needs to be done to progress the project oh. and my point is that you know if it 's ten billion if it 's eleven billion the point is is that it 's a project no matter what that this state can 't afford not to build oh, because the productivity for all the food and fibre and containerised grain and you you think about all the stuff that comes out of the central west and over the divide there, we need to be building infrastructure for tomorrow, not just today. We need to change our mindset. I think we're seeing that across New South Wales but I think the Great Western Highway needs to be the next highway of focus. We've got plenty plenty happening um, on the Princess, on the Pacific, the M1. Uh, I think things like the Great Western Highway closely followed by the Newell that's my priority.
1: Yeah, well, mate, you're not going to get an argument of me on whether we actually need it or not. The issue is whether we can afford it. I mean, is it doable, really? Um, The the, the final
9: point to remember in all this is that we were never building the tunnel first we're going to build the tunnel last so we're going to build east and west and meet in the middle. The reason why you do that is because the tunnel boring operators that are building the metro will be in the marketplace you would think ready looking for another project and this is the capacity you know you got to think ahead. Uh, it's easy to rip money out of it, which Labor have done, but we have a forward plan about making sure that we have the operators and the capacity to build a tunnel in a few years when the time comes. And between now and then, it gives us time for the economy to fire, to keep the economy strong, to obviously uh, invest in infrastructure like that. So that's certainly my plan, at yeah. least for, 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 for most part. You know, you've got some vision, you've got a plan, and and, and that's what – the community tell me every day of the week. That's what Road Freight New South Wales, the National Road Freighters, the ATA, they just say, like, "Where's your plan?" And and here, here is the plan.
1: Just one quick one before you go, and this is one Jenny didn't get. I'm sorry. It just occurred to me. Mm-hmm. The uh, these communities that we keep seeing pop up, like we've got one, we've got all this new development down around Wilton and that now, where we have you know one access point in and out of some of these communities on the major roads, and we get traffic bottlenecks back into the different areas. And if you know, if there's a disaster, there aren't very many ways out of that. I don't know how all that happens. I know it's local government that say, yeah, you can build that there. Surely there needs to be some oversight to make them put in, you know, a couple of ways out of some of these communities. Just your random thoughts on that, mate.
9: No, no, it's definitely, it's about making sure that you have the infrastructure that's keeping pace with, with the growth. And the reality is, is you can't hold back. We, we have housing, crisis or housing challenges mm. we a good government is one that, I, that that allows the growth in housing but keeps pace with the infrastructure needed. To support those developments and whether it's down south or another example would be the north coast yeah. if you look at the Cumberland interchange you know that was built for a certain population projection but we've outgrown that yeah. uh, and I've been up there looking at that intersection and certain off ramps uh, whether it is south of Sydney or on the north coast that we need to make sure that our future transport planning is going to keep pace because whether it's an emergency or evacuation or Easter or Christmas um, that's one thing and you've got to be able to move a lot of people quickly, but you just look at the normal or or median traffic numbers that's happening in in and out of these communities now, and COVID has exacerbated this as well because so many people uh, have purchased property or moved out of Sydney or have changed their lifestyle to to move up and down the coast. So you've got more people using the infrastructure. So it's a very valid point, a valid question, uh, and I'm challenging Transport for New South Wales working with planning that we need to be reviewing in particular, uh, these access roads and service roads uh, and off-ramps that take you off major highways intersect with local roads and state roads in and out of communities because we've got to keep pace with the growth.
1: Okay, mate. Well, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks very much for uh, taking up the challenge and answering a few questions. I do appreciate your time and uh, I'm hoping that we'll be able to talk together again down the track and good luck with the election, mate.
9: Absolute pleasure, thank you Mike, for having me on.
1: you're welcome. Well that was Sam Faraway, uh, Minister for Regional Transport and Roads in the Paraite Government in New South Wales. They've got that state election coming up uh, on the twenty fifth of March. We'll see what happens after that. One of the two people that you've just heard will very likely end up the uh, the minister and uh, I'll be looking forward to having a chat with them after the election and obviously and obviously holding them to account. Uh, as time goes on.
0: Here on the road, it's time for the news. Show one hundred
2: and thirty-one,
1: and it's news time, Yogi. How are you, mate? <laughs> right, good, good. Very, very late edition news. Very late edition news. What have you been doing, mate? They tell me you've been running around towing a tanker. <laughs> <laughs> I've been driving a unicorn. A unicorn? I've been driving, driving my me
2: little, me little side hustle, and uh, I've been carting water to the wind farm. So, Carton yeah, it's very, it's very intense when you cart water, when you go from tank to tank. Like, you kinda just go bang, 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 bang. So it's,
1: it's, it's a real bastard trying to strap it all down, though, isn't it?
2: Oh, I know. I know, I know. I threw a couple of chains over the top, and they're looking at me funny. What are you doing? It's in the tank. You'll be fine. No need... But I tell you what, I've got a newfound respect for any of you tanker carters out there. Uh, right, she's they slosh around a little bit, don't <laughs> they, they?
1: They have their moments. If you you can you can have real, real center of gravity issues with the with the barrel, if you yeah. Like well,
2: we're, we're not running it full when there's set compartments, I suppose. And, you know, like you do feel it. It's a bit – it's a whole other level of, uh, yeah, oh audio. Like okay, sort of right. slapping
1: you in the backside when you pull up and all that sort of stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. So, yeah. But anyway, I've got a big, big long bonnet at Kenworth and a, and a short 30-foot tanker and I'm going into a, a batching plant and – yeah, I look, fair to say, I've taken the corner a couple of times to try and get into where I've got a pup oh. out. So it's not ideal. But anyway, we're helping mates out. And uh, oh. it's what you do in WA. You help your mates.
1: You do indeed. So have you got a dad joke for us this week, mate? Have you lived dad- up to it? <laughs>
2: See, I thought, I thought I'd knock this out together, you, right? Because you've know? been at me about a dad joke. Yep. And you've been at me about a thought for the day. Right, eh? Right, so I thought this is this is what I sort of come up with. Well, the, just remember yeah.
1: though, the thought for the day comes at the end of the news. I don't want to hear it now. Well, you,
2: well you're going to have to cut them both in here. You're mm-hmm. going to have to replay it.
1: <laughs> right. Uh-huh.
2: Right. Right. So on. I thought, I thought, right. Now I was pondering this the other day. Right. Yeah. I thought air was cheap until I bought a bag of chips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. that, that, that knocks a vape out, doesn't it? Oh. Like you can think about that yeah, and it's a dad joke because there's a lot of air in that bag of chips yeah. and it wasn't free.
1: Unbelievable. All right, let's get on with the news. First one, first cab off the rank, mate.
2: It'd have to be about refrigerator transport, one would
1: imagine. Look, got to get it out of the way. Scots <laughs> have, uh, have gone to God. No one wanted to buy their trucks. And uh Corder I think are going to be in a bit of an issue. I don't even think Richie's want them. those are some bloody crap there, but uh Couple, oh, of, couple sh- of people have bought. Uh, a couple of people are lined up to buy some of the trailers. though. they probably had some good trailers? So
2: can I say surely there would be some good trailers in there and some rollback A's and
1: well, it's a testament to Peaky and and all those guys that make trailers. At the, that. The yeah, you and things that are yeah. still yeah. running around. So. Yeah, I know, I know, I
2: know. You're right. Actually, if if you're buying one of them, you know it's actually lasted and <laughs> the test of time. So yeah, some of
1: the some of the abuse it's had with some of the rocket pilots that were driving at Scotts. Hey, no, look, let's just not go there, all right. I don't I, I I probably don't it's it's bad form to speak ill of the dead. Right. Um on the upside of it, mate, there is a massive driver shortage. I don't think any of the drivers will have any difficulty uh getting work if they were if they're worth employing. I I can't imagine there'd be too many walking around. I know that a very good friend of mine who does run a refrigerated company. And this is a bit mercenary. Had one of his guys down there handing out job application forms when they were walking out the gate.
2: Oh (laughs) well, look at the end of the day, there's fifteen hundred drivers. Well, fifteen hundred staff.
1: I don't know about fifteen hundred
2: drivers. So if there's fifteen hundred employees, yeah. You know, there's 1,500 jobs available in the transport industry current. So we'll see what happens. But there's, there's wings and there's words and there's people whispers about people buying yards in Adelaide and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah.
1: And, and we'll see. And North Queensland Oops, and all over the place. Hey, yeah. um, the reality of it is, uh, my old mate wasn't the only one. Uh Dyer's Distribution posted two ads on Seek looking for Scotch drivers. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, right. <so. laughs> so, so. So there's plenty of uh, plenty of employment opportunities for uh, for drivers and subcontractors that have been impacted by the, uh, the by the liquidation of Scots. It's been referred to as a sudden liquidation. I don't think there's very much sudden about it. Sudden. If, yeah. you, if you listen to the guys that are into refrigerated uh, transport, and we both know a few, um, yeah. uh, According to them, the the writing's been on the wall for some time. Suitable employees are going to be offered additional entitlements, and uh, with some of these people, uh, immediate starts, good pay, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, with uh, well, that's what that's what dyes are saying, and yeah. uh, they're offering and they're offering subbies, discounted fuel, fortnightly payments, and then two thousand upfront payment after five days to help pay for their fuel. I just hope that everyone gets their entitlements. You know, that's the thing. Really, I I hope the Australian yeah. taxpayers don't end up paying AHG's uh, superannuation bill. That'd be just a little bit too much to take, wouldn't
2: it? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. And there's, yeah, sometimes we watch big dollars get shuffled around yeah. into big big people's bank accounts and it shouldn't be like that. So,
1: Yeah, well, all the mechanics, all the workshops and everything closed down, all the mechanics got out with their tools because we know that mechanics mostly, uh, mostly supply their own tools. Yeah, we do. Yeah. But I uh, I was you know, wildly amused to see that they'd posted extra security around the yards to make sure that people didn't wander off with anything that wasn't nailed down. Oh,
2: <laughs> well, like um, a pallet of meat or something. No? Oh, well.
1: <laughs> Some I got, pepperoni. Well, i got a feeling like. that a lot of people there are owed a little bit more than the pallet of meat somehow. Um, yeah, yeah, probably. Michael Kane uh, has said that a decade of inaction by government has left transport operators fending for themselves in a broken market. I don't find a lot to disagree with when our mate Michael's talking about this sort of stuff. I mean, it just reeks, doesn't it? I mean, we do need some reform in the transport industry. I don't know what yeah. we need, but we need something. Yeah, I know. I
2: know, but it, it like, it, whenever whenever the news comes out and people from an, an organisation such as the TW or anyone or all points in between, yeah. they use big words like, Crisis. Oh, yeah, it's a crisis. It's terrible and, and inadequacies and all. What, what about just going to the root of what actually happened? Like, you, you went broke, you couldn't pay the bill, you yeah. weren't charging enough, you did what you did. Like, we don't need another crisis. Like, you know, I feel like, you know, I can't get a coffee at the corner shop. It's a crisis because oh, there's no yeah. coffee beans. You it know, is. a decade of inadequacies. Like, stop beating it up, yeah. people. Just report what it is and do what it is, you know, yeah. like because it's starting to get really washed out these big everything's a crisis the climate crisis you know this there's everything you know? <laughs>
1: so, yeah. I, I, look I struggle with a lot of it everyone's talking about uh how you know it's such a bad thing I, for me personally they're gone I've got no sympathy for them for me they're race right to the bottom that they've been involved in cutting of rate you've got to struggle with their ethics of what they've done,
2: yeah. So that's where it falls into another basket, you know, the yeah. ethics of what they did, or the the reliance on agency drivers. So you, no customer knows who's actually going to get out of the truck.
1: It's not the way I'd run a business personally.
2: Yeah, but it's the way they ended up running the business.
1: Well, they ran it into the ground quite effectively. It's just another coots. That's all it was. Next story. Why there's a bloke in Brisbane who's gone ahead and ordered a hundred mercedes Benz trucks,
2: one hundred and twenty, I think the count was, and it's oh, over oh. a course of three years as such, yeah very interesting uh very interesting on a lot of levels that they are uh, the the backup and the after sales and what what Mercedes will do
3: mm-hmm.
2: is quite good, you know and their and their service intervals are quite good and yeah. Look, at the end of the day, they're the leader in the market when it comes to fuel economy. So if there's whispers around about we're gonna get dabbed with another fuel, how do we say that oh, nicely? There's look, another ten percent surcharge getting put on mate, fuel.
1: Let's talk about that as a separate issue. I mean, I've got something <laughs> I've got something to add to, to that conversation on, as well. I mean So
2: look, if he's if he's looking at fuel economy over hundred and twenty trucks, I mean it's that age old thing that Simon's running around doing eighty Ks an hour. Their fuel economy is phenomenal. They get a new truck every year they're, you know they're like allowed to do
1: 90 mate they do 90 Not,
2: sorry 90 90, still, 90 sorry they Some...
1: still get it everyone's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: they're, so yeah and, my and, years. yeah yeah so so ole would he's obviously figured it out he knows what he his drivers like and uh yeah he's gone and back well, in a pretty big order
1: sggs uh started in business in uh, 2013 yep. Own, uh, raj b uh kangaroo i hope that's pronounced correct began hauling with a single truck and he's grown his business steadily
2: Uh, east west brisbane base brisbane perth or brisbane
1: well they're brisbane capitals brisbane base but they you know he runs all over the place they run all over australia now and they cross the paddock go across to perth um they already operate 37 uh, mercedes-benz Actros trucks i look at it and i saw i saw a picture of one of the combinations there and it's a what do they call it? A I suppose you'd have to call it a quad. It's four trailers. It's two B doubles. Well, yeah. oh,
2: we, we in the West here call it two B doubles snapped together, but yeah, you, you got yeah. probably got an A, B, C
1: you've got an alphabet oh, then, oh, be, what you call it over there. there, there. there no, yeah. A, a? There, you like that? Yeah, uh, yeah, there'd be uh there'd be some sort of an alphabet to it. But it's yeah. basically, it's basically two B doubles snapped together with a dollar. You're right, okay. So let's keep it Correct. simple. And they've got, <laughs> got this got this baby, bloody Mercedes cab over thing in front of it. Well, they're uh, a big truck, but yeah. I've got a bit of a history with Mercedes. So yes, I did test right. drive one of their new uh, Actroses with the the LED mirrors when they first came out, one of them when they were very, very new. I got one of those and I drove it around for a little while. You uh, can't come at that. Oh, mate, they're fantastic. They really are. They really are. I, I like them a lot. And in fact, so much so that I said to the boss, he could buy me one. Uh, I never ever got one, but...
2: Well, it, 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 here's, here's a bit of news for you. Look, I'd never be able to have one in South Australia. Why? An, a mirrorless truck. I would never be able to do oversize in South Australia because in oh, South Australia and yeah. only in South Australia, yep. you have to run mirror extensions. I've seen them. Yeah, Yeah, stupidity. Absolute stupidity. Put your little
1: motorbike mirrors on the end of a broom. Yeah,
2: pull your broomstick out (laughs) from under your bunk and tie a little fog spot mirror on the side. Yeah, that will comply. You will get fined if you don't have it, but that will comply. Oh, does not make sense at all. I, well, so on, I could get, never have one. So there on. you go. So there's the manufacturers, you know. I could never be oversized in South Australia. Only South Australia. No other mm. state in Australia mm. at all, mind you.
1: Get up, is get that up, required. Get off your soapbox now. Go on.
2: <laughs> Was that part of the news? But anyway, that'll probably give him a couple of tickets to the uh, to the to the footy or the grand final, I would imagine,
1: from from Damon. So oh, yeah. they probably will. You know what I you know what I thought about when I saw that two B doubles snapped together. So that's three tra- three single semis, basically.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, that's a bit of a Queensland thing. You sort of do it a lot up there in, in Queensland. Don't they? they do call them quads, I think, but yeah.
1: yeah. I don't know what you'd call it. You're it's a little yeah, bit funny like, over
2: there in Eastern states with your setup.
1: It's got to be a quad because it's got four trailers, but I don't know. Yeah, it's got to be.
2: It's got to be. It's got to be under that. What did it be?
1: 56 metres long? Oh, it'd have to be. Every bit of it. It's as long as a triple.
2: Yeah, yeah, triple's 56 yeah. and A, Mirren. Yeah, yeah, Yeah,
1: something like that. And I mean those uh, those um, Mercedes. I mean when you pull the, pull the curtains around, and you uh, if you if they've got the drive pack in them, these ones probably won't have. But they there was a thing called a, uh, a the black edition, and oh, yeah. it had the fold down table off the bottom of the bed, so the actual bed folded up. Oh yeah. The yeah. And a fridge and a freezer and a fold down table and a work light and a little corner chair, and they deleted the passenger seat. Yeah. So you had a you had a seat. In the in the back corner, which is like all upholstered and everything, and you could sit facing forward or facing sideways, and yeah, an awesome. When I mean, you pull awesome. the curtain around, it's just like having a sixty inch sleeper. It was a thing of beauty.
2: Yeah, I, I've never actually been in one. Never, I mean, yeah, like I said, Dad had one years ago, you yeah. know, when they first come out. Yeah. But uh, he went, but I've never, never actually really sat in one. But uh, you know, cool. White Line, have been running them across the Nullarbor for for a very, very long yeah, time. Okay, so you
4: know.
2: they must be a sort of a thing, and and I know they are phenomenal on fuel. So.
1: And, of course, they'll have all the, uh, all the creature comforts and the, uh, the technology. And uh, he reckons that uh, they're going to be on a winner with it. So the, uh, the terrain following uh, satellite navigation system is pretty bloody interesting too. The one I test drive had that in it. And uh, stick the cruise control on, mate. Bloody amazing. An amazing truck. Oh, there you go. There you go. Good job. Next story. This is a sad one, mate.
2: Uh, yeah, it is a bit of a sad one. We we never like hearing the passing of a fellow truck driver, and yeah. um, especially in these bad circumstances. And um, many condolences to the family.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, we all offer our condolences to the Cavill family on uh, on Lindsay passing away. Only fifty six. Um, he was injured in a uh, an accident up at uh, Charters Towers, uh, unloading at a feedlot. Yeah, uh, when a large uh, bale fell on him and, and did him a mischief, and uh, he was taken to hospital. It ended up in Townsville and then was transferred down to Brisbane. And uh, he'd been he was a, a um, yeah, a little bit hard. Yeah, well, uh, Lindsay became a quadriplegic as a result of his injuries, and he'd been been. Uh, recovering he'd been learning to drive an electric wheelchair using the chin controls and things yeah um do you
2: know truck so truck drivers they always want to drive don't they yeah when my dad got he got himself an electric wheelchair we had to take the controls off because he had dementia (laughs) and he would have left the hospital guaranteed So we weren't, mum had to have the controls from behind. So we, so I can only imagine this bike driving with his chin. Yeah. He'd be going, yep, fantastic. This is what yeah. I'm going to do. This so is what's going to
1: There's a memorial service set for Lindsay Cavill Friday, the 17th of March at 2pm at the Townsville Cremation and Funeral Chapel. And uh, if you can't be there, that's also going to be live streamed on the Townsville Cremations website. Rest in peace, mate. And the family,
2: because uh, because of Lindsay, who he was and what he was, he was a bit of an, an industry icon. Uh, the family has requested those who attend to wear bright colours on the day. Now, it always feels awkward to do that to a funeral, but the, but the family has requested those who attend, please wear some bright colours, even if you get a bright orange tie. That'll
1: do it. Righto, mate. What have you got? You got something from Western Australia for us?
2: No, nothing <laughs> like at all. I don't, there's nothing really going on. I didn't really find anything out of WA this particular week. So, so there's
1: nothing yeah. happening in Western Australia at all. Well, there's a lot happening in Western Australia,
2: fair to say. You know, like it's not a, it's not just, you know, a bit of a one horse town where nothing's going on. I'm like, I'm, well, I'm, you know, I'm on a major infrastructure project as we speak. You know, there's breaking news for you, but it's not really, it's not really newsworthy for the good listeners, you know. Oh. I've got to get a white card. If that's 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 oh, no, not so news, but
1: breaking, I've got some breaking news then for you. You never get sick of it. It never gets old. But, I can still never, never do it. Do it gets old. The Fair Work Ombudsman. <laughs> this has just happened today, mate. The Fair Work Ombudsman in South Australia has fined an Adelaide freight company nineteen thousand dollars and nineteen thousand oh, dollars. Really? BSH, the the transport company, uh, worked between Roxby and Roxby Downs in Adelaide. They employed 17 drivers and five office staff. Uh, They were told that they needed to pay someone correctly for uh, hours that they worked. Uh, Someone that they employed as a, uh, I believe, in the office was terminated. She had not been paid a full entitlement. They owed her uh, the entitlement balance of 225 hours on her unused personal, personal okay. leave and other leave entitlements uh, uh, amounting to 150 hours. And They'd never ever paid it. They were ordered to by Fair okay. work and they never paid it. Uh, the, the worker was paid, was owed like $11,500. Judge uh, Stuart Brown has said that a year after the compliance notice was issued, they'd still not paid. BSH Transport Solutions had to make a partial back payment to the worker, uh, but more money was still owed. Judge uh, Brown said that uh, they need to indicate that non-compliance with fair work orders and and things like that are regarded as a serious matter. The the company are, uh, are saying that they intend to appeal at their small family company. They claim they've always tried to do things above board. All I can say is pay your employees what you bloody well owe them, and move on, right? Is that it? Yep.
2: Bit going on, so it's a bit, um, pretty bit of a lead up to Matt's Mid America Truck Show end of yeah, the month. You're going, of course. Correct. So we'll be going there wearing a couple of hats, but definitely with uh, going with the next yes. journey. Simon's really trying really hard to crack into uh, the American market, and he's making some really excellent head roads for an Australian company to uh, show your wares in America. He's doing really good. So, yeah, so we're going to wander over there. And, uh, look, I might even sneak a couple of podcasts in and a couple of interviews on the road.
1: Well, I, look, I, I certainly bloody hope you do. Uh, My mate... <laughs> My mate Gordon McGill from uh, upstate New York and uh, the bloke that carts logs up out of Appalachia and all that sort of stuff. He's going to be coming down the Mid America Truck Show. I told him to look you up.
2: Is he, that's the autonomous that's the trucker?
1: Autonomous trucker. Yeah.
2: Correct. We've had a little bit of contact with that.
1: Whose yeah. uh, show we've been playing in a nighttime slot on our radio station. Put that out there. I've got a quote for you anyway. I thought for the day soon as how.
2: Well, I have me thaw for the
1: day, and I'm uh, yeah, of into a dead joke. But news, dude, you've got it. We've, we've we've worked hard to generate these traditions. And Confucius.
2: <laughs> Andy might have to take over the podcast when I when I go yeah, over into
1: America. Too. Get Andy to do a guest slot or something. I don't know. Confucius, right? Confucius. Right. Smart now, man. You, now you know. that Smart he first. is first. The fellow that said that when a mosquito lands on your sack, there's a. That's the time when you realise that everything doesn't have to be responded to with violence. <laughs> I don't think Confucius <laughs> actually said that. I think that was someone else. <laughs>
2: I think he was confused.
1: Confucius, right? Act with kindness. Right. Confucius, this is. Act with kindness, but do not expect gratitude.
2: Yeah, right. We were, I, was, I was looking at something like that before, too, you know? Well,
1: but yeah, quotes. I, I sort of like the old Sun Tzu quotes, though, you know, the, you know, the art of war. Never interrupt your enemy while he's making a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let, let them go. <laughs> of course you've got to have the wisdom to know that your enemy's making a mistake so that you don't interrupt them but that's a whole nother issue righto Cobber? yeah, yeah. back to trucking let's let's stop philosophizing before for philosophizing back to and uh, go back to the back to trucking yes righto
3: we supposed to have it all together, and when they ask how you doing, just smile and tell them, never better.
0: We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries, Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well.
3: Oh, am I the only one who says I'm fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. hey I'm fine, but I'm not. So let the truth be told.
1: Kermie here
2: from Trucking with Kermy. I listen to On the Road podcast every week. And when that's done, you might like to
0: pop over to Trucking with kemi on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is.
8: Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. Hey, it's Tim Beaver here. Today, I'm going to talk to you about Ude Economics for the budget conscious buyer. Now, you're going to buy the base model, obviously. Everyone will tell you that Hilux is number one. It's the most reliable and it has the best resale. But is that really true? A base model SR Auto 4x4 Dual Cab Hilux is $58,140 drive away. A Triton GLX Auto 4x4 is $47,740 drive away. So that's a $10,400 difference. Now, all the Toyota owners here will point out that the resale value on the Hilux will be better after 10 years, which it is. The SR Hilux will be worth about $25,000, and the Triton will be worth about $15,000. So yes, the Hilux is worth $10,000 more, but you paid $10,000 more for it in the first place. In 10 years, they both lose around $33,000. But there's a trick you may not have considered. Sell a triton to a bogan after five years. There's always a premium for sub-five-year-old Japanese utes with not massive kilometres. A five-year-old triton will go for about $30,000. So if you sold your triton for $30,000 and replace it with another $47,000 triton, you'll lose 17000 on the first ute and 17000 on the second ute. That's $34,000. So you can either buy one Hilux for 10 years or two Tritons for the same amount of money for the same 10-year period. And what do you think the maintenance regime's going to be across both the vehicles? With the Triton, you're getting a new ute with a new everything every five years. Tyres, brakes, seals, joints, you get the whole lot. And anything major is covered under warranty. So even if the Hilux is magically more reliable, Is it really that much more reliable? And also, you get the benefit of the updated model, new safety features, and technology at that five year mark. I think the only thing dumber than buying the Hilux is the bloke paying 25 grand for a flogged out one because it's legendary. I'm Tim Beaver, and I exercise every day.
0: A
1: trucking boss has been cleared of charges in a new twist over the eastern freeway crash that killed four police officers. Simeonia Tutera is now unlikely to ever stand trial, leaving grieving families devastated and planning to fight.
7: Once charged with four counts of manslaughter over the Eastern Freeway tragedy, trucking boss Simeona Tuteru has now had his case permanently put on hold. Are you relieved you won't be going to trial? Family members of the fallen officers were in court today. Mr Tuteru's legal team arguing prolonged mismanagement of the case had breached his human rights.
5: Talking about
2: uh, human rights, Fair income. My son's right to be human ended on the 22nd of April 2020. Bewildered once again in the System we have here in Victoria.
7: Mr Tuteru was charged with manslaughter and heavy vehicle breaches in 2020 after he was accused of allowing truck driver Mohinder Singh to get behind the wheel while fatigued. But when prosecutors were last year asked to explain how they'd prove him guilty of manslaughter, the charges were suddenly dropped. Justice Lex Lazry today slamming the prosecution for a glaring and oppressive misuse of the court process.
2: Disappointment. That's a to say.
7: Mr Totaru's time in court is over for now, but the Presney family say they're not backing down. They now plan to appeal today's decision.
9: On will we march, I guess?
7: Mohinder Singh is currently serving an 18-year sentence for the deaths of the four officers. Estelle gray 7 News.
1: So that audio, Curtis, your Channel 7 News. I just want to have a little bit of a comment about what's going on there. It just seems to me that sometimes or another the chain of responsibility doesn't have the teeth we all think it has. There's the guy that let a driver go when he knew he was fatigued and he's walking away. From the court process, because somehow or another, his rights were uh, denied by the fact that they they couldn't get the court together sorted and get sorted out quickly enough. I don't understand it myself. I would have thought he would have gone, but uh, but there you go. What do you think? Have you say join us on Facebook or uh, text me and uh, let me know what you think. Oh four one eight seven double two four double eight. Let's have a chat about it on Saturday night on the uh, Saturday session on The Road Radio. You know, they say you can
0: never get too much of a good thing. Well, here's Courtney Kyle with another of her toe-tap and original songs called Always First, just to prove how true that old adage is. proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions.